1: Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic Pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson
0: with Echelon Insights.
1: And each week we bring you the latest polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So this week after we do our top lines, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Orlando. It's an issue that it taps into a lot of things we feel very, very deeply about. We're not going to have the, you know, jokey poll of the week, um, but we will um, get into the polling pretty clearly. But first, Kristen, why don't you go through some of the top lines?
0: Uh, So 2016 has taken a little bit of a backseat to the tragedy in Orlando, but of course, polling never sleeps. Um, We'll take a look at how the 2016 race may or may not be shifting, um, both from what we know before and after Orlando. Um, We'll also take a look at polling on guns, terrorism, how religious groups view the LGBT community, uh, and then just more broadly take a look at how voters are reacting specifically to Donald Trump. Uh, we'll also look at some polls about trust in the media uh, Americans still not not huge fans uh, and finally we will try to wrap up on a lighter note with a little bit of polling um, about sports. I know Margie's favorite topic <laughs> um, so but before we before we get into the the polls on Orlando in 2016 uh, we think it's important to sort of put all of our cards on the table. Um, normally we when we do this show you know our our goal is to be, Objective. Clearly, Margie and I, you know, don't agree on on every issue or even maybe most issues. But but we you know we come to this show and we set that stuff aside and, and we you know just look at what does the data say. Um, but on this particular issue, there's a lot kind of emotionally in it for for both of us. Um, for listeners who may be newer uh, and may not know, I grew up in Orlando and. Uh, not just grew up in Orlando, but my high school is about 15 minutes down the road from Pulse nightclub. Um, I found out about the story because I woke up on Sunday morning and checked my Facebook while I was like laying in bed trying to decide if I wanted to get up or maybe I was going to go back to sleep. Uh, and saw a post from one of my best girlfriends from high school saying, Hey everybody, I'm okay. I was supposed to go to so-and-so's birthday party at Pulse last night, but I stayed home because I was tired. Um, just want you all to know that I wasn't there. Um, but, you know, please keep people in your thoughts and prayers. And I thought, well, why would, why would Katie have posted that she wasn't at a, at a nightclub? Um, and then, of course, the story began unfolding. And uh, in the last couple of days, I mean, it's just sort of been uh, one, you know, post after another where I've realized that it's, you know, I did not personally know any of the victims, but I know people who know the victims, um, you know. And so throughout Sunday and Monday, you know, seeing people suddenly posting things on Facebook. Oh, you know, my, my mother's cousin's friend, you know, was there or, uh, you know, so-and-so who was my friend's sister was there. And and, I mean, Orlando is, um, it's, it's, it's a big place. It's a a place where lots of people come and go and move here and there. But, um, the particular communities that were affected, the LGBT community, um, the Latino community, this was, these are folks that are, you know, very connected to a lot of people I went to high school and college with. And so this is just, I'm, I'm very personally emotionally involved in this story um, and then you know Margie a, a, again you know I mean I, I know you and I don't necessarily agree on on a lot of issues I think we probably agree on most LGBT rights stuff if not not gun stuff but I know that that um, gun rights is is and gun control is is a big issue for you and that, that this story also, I mean, it has mo- emotional resonance for everyone but i you know i know these are top issues for you too
1: yeah i mean it, you know uh, uh, people write all the time that one of the things they like most about our show is the bipartisanship and the way we talk about issues that they can't always tell what side of the issues either of us are on that's something that comes up repeatedly which we appreciate that's something that comes naturally to us where it's not forced but this is an issue where when it comes to LGBT rights or stronger gun laws, it's they're challenging for me. I mean, I think every researcher has some different pressure points, and I can understand completely how folks, um, you know, feel part of gun culture. They grew up hunting. They feel that sometimes when folks talk about guns, they don't get it. That they don't. Uh, they, they, You know, the folks who want stronger gun laws don't understand what the other side goes through. I, I, I get that. I get when people say, even if I don't agree with it, I understand it as a researcher. I understand when folks say, you know, all these cultural movements in terms of gay marriage or transgender folks using bathrooms, those things are moving so quickly, I'm not sure I'm ready for this movement. I, I get where people are coming from. Even Again, even if I don't agree with it, that's not how I feel. I can understand that when I hear people talk about it. That's my job. Um, but when I hear people say, you know, people should be able to get an AR-15 without a background check, which is ultimately what we're talking about in a lot of places, or, you know, having a real Confrontation, and dispute over whether or not people who are on the terrorist uh, no-fly list should be able to get a gun—that um, th- th- I have a harder time understanding. When you know people say, you know, some of the incendiary things people have said about the LGBT community, you've seen, and I know these are extremist positions, but you know, you've seen some folks react to. Uh, to the fact that this was a, a a gay bar. That was a good thing. It was a good thing that the target was a gay club. I mean, you saw some of that kind of reaction out in the fringe. That's not, I know that's not mainstream, but you did see some of that reaction. So uh, that I don't, I can't understand that. I have a much harder time understanding these, all of these issues come to a head in this tragedy, you know, and. It's um, I love gay clubs. they are safe spaces, joyous spaces, and um I feel terribly that they that the, those spaces have been violated um, and so needlessly and maybe i'm I'm getting too far afield here, but maybe we should just focus on the different components of the polling um, so Kristen, maybe you want to start talking about the terrorism component. Oh.
0: Well, there's, I mean, one of the big questions that I think will define how people react to this and to what extent it affects, um, the, the 2016 race will be if people view this as first and foremost, um, a, a crime that, uh, a tragedy that happened because, um, it's, it's a gun crime, easy access to guns is is primarily the, the framework through which people view it or do people view this first and foremost as an, an act of terrorism um, as something that uh, focuses attention more on um, our, our fight against ISIS and what do we do about somebody who Uh, May have never been in contact with somebody in in Syria or Iraq, but is inspired to want to do terrible things in the name of ISIS. Um, And, you know, the in recent years, the percentage of Americans who say that terrorism is the most important issue to them has has not been incredibly high Um, in December 2015. Again, this, I believe, was uh, the first time that this poll was uh, that the Gallup had asked this question after. Uh, after the tragedy in Paris, I think if I'm reading the timeline right, um, it, it basically showed that 16% um, of people in December of 2015 said that they thought terrorism was the most important problem facing the country. Um, but as of the last time they asked um, in June of this year, um, it was only at 4%. So terrorism has not been something that was top of mind for people. Um, and so I think the, the question then is... Uh, to what extent will that change um, after this? Uh, the percentage of Americans naming terrorism as the most important issue, that 16% that we saw in December, um, we hadn't seen numbers like that since back in 2005. Um, you'd have to go back a long way for, for concern to be, to be at that level. Um, at, at the same time, the question of how, much, how many Americans say that guns is the most important problem facing America. Um, Those numbers have also been pretty low over the last few years. Um, The last time Gallup asked, only 1% of people named it as their top issue. Prior to that, though, there had been up as much as 7% of people within the last year saying that it was was the most important problem that the U.S. is facing.
1: Um, Right. And we don't know, and we can't. And we can't tell from that whether it's people who want stronger gun laws or who want to prevent stronger gun laws or want less strong. You know, the way Gallup asked that question, it's not totally clear what side they're on. There's always a little bit of a tricky part when you're looking at that most important issue question. You know, one thing that is also, this is from Gallup, and I think it's around the same time, December, it asked, they asked a variety, what would be a variety of effective ways to combat terrorism? Um and you have airstrikes high up on the list, 79%. Overhaul, the federal visa waiver program, tighter screening, that's high. But also just right next to it is banned gun sales to people on the federal no-fly watch list. That's quite high at 71%. This is again, this is from December. This is not a newer uh data point. And Eve a little bit lower, but still majority is passed new laws making it harder to buy assault weapons. Um that's something that is a little bit more divisive uh, than the no-fly list, but still has majority support. And again, that's from December. But I guess there's a difference between the what's a most important issue, which by most measures this doesn't, you know, either guns or terrorism. They they usually don't rate that high and and support where support can be, you know, fairly consistent.
0: And it's also I think important to note that in this poll they asked to what extent people think that a Muslim ban. Um, for, uh, new immigration to the U S or entering the U S would, would affect things. 38% said that they thought that a new law would, uh, that would prevent any Muslim from entering the U S would be effective or somewhat effective. Um, only 28% said a new law that would impose a religious test to enter the U S banning those who identify as Muslim. So similar concept, but worded in a different way. Um, but both of those are, are toward the bottom of this list. Um, so whether you think 38% is a, a horrifyingly high number of people who agree with that position or are heartened that it was toward the bottom of the list of people saying that this would be very or somewhat effective, that's one of those matters of interpretation. But it, certainly it was it was toward the bottom of all the list of all of the options that were presented.
1: Right. And of course, the gunman in Orlando was born in the United States. He was not, you know, a Muslim ban would not have prevented him right. from coming here. Um So so that's one piece, the sort of views toward terrorism and views toward guns as an issue. There's also this worry or not worry, but um, how people think about specific gun laws. So we've talked about this on the show before, that there's less support for stronger gun laws or stricter gun laws or however the questions asked. Pew has has a way of asking. Gallup has a way of asking these three-point questions or two-point questions. Every outlet does it differently. And it bounces around, but there's, you know, just barely half or sometimes a plurality, sometimes not just or almost a plurality, say um, that they support stronger gun laws. But lots of specific measures are far more popular. And that's true for polls that have come out this year. It's been true for a while. Um, So let me just give one example. But lots of outlets will have a similar example. So CBS had a poll recently that showed... 57% 57% say laws covering gun sales should be more strict. Um, that's that's higher than other outlets, uh, that 57%. But you actually have a higher, an 89% saying to- they, that they support background checks on all gun buyers, even 82% of gun owners. Um, you have majority supporting uh, nationwide ban on assault weapons. That's the, with 57 favor, 38% oppose. What's interesting is that and I guess this is one of the other issues in the gun polling is that opposition has has um has grown a little bit but over you know has grown over the last few years in 1984 80 you know almost 80% said they favored a nationwide ban on assault weapons now it's 57%. That's still a majority but that's a real drop over the last you know, a few decades. I mean, there has been a real shift in how people view gun laws. There's been a shift in how people talk about it. There's been a shift in how the NRA has talked about it. There's been a shift in how even Republican leaders have talked about it over the last, you know, if you go back decades, there's been a real shift. And you can see this match up in the polling where, while there's still support for an assault weapon ban, it's lower than it was uh, in years past. So that's something that's, you know, that's troubling. We could talk about why that is, but that's a clear, um, clear softening in the polling overall. Even if support for what's being discussed currently, in terms of this no-fly list, has uh, there's been clear support. Um, sorry, go ahead. What
0: interested me? What interested me about the CBS poll? And again, this was a poll that uh, it wasn't a poll necessarily done. Was this a poll that was done? Uh, it was done after the the attacks, right? Yes, um, I, I what, what fascinates me about this is if you take a look, they've released crosstabs broken out by party. And so on this question of, for instance, do you think that laws covering gun sales should be more strict, less strict or kept as is among Republicans, only 14 percent say less strict. say kept as is, and then 36% say more strict. On the nationwide ban on assault weapons, um, you have 45% of Republicans who say they favor a nationwide ban on assault weapons. And the reason I bring that up is that yesterday you had Donald Trump say that he is leaning towards supporting this idea of – uh, prohibiting people on the no fly list from being able to purchase, uh, purchase certain guns, or maybe I'm not sure what the specifics are. Um, and you know, then the NRA kind of, and he said, he's going to go talk to the NRA about it. And then the NRA tweeted, you know, we welcome the opportunity to talk to, you know, Donald Trump about how we keep terrorists from getting guns. Um, because of course the NRA came out and endorsed Donald Trump, even though I don't believe he'd had much of a record one way or the other on, on, gun issues leading up um, to that endorsement. And so this has now created a really interesting situation, you know, where there's this concept of, well, Republicans are all in favor of gun rights and they're all really big on the Second Amendment and they all really oppose, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then Donald Trump, I think, has been able to sort of successfully exploit these these fissures in the Republican Party where people assume that all Republicans agree, you know, with maybe it's a Ted Cruz type position or what have you, and has figured out a way to sort of take over the GOP without holding on to some of the things that are commonly thought of as Republican orthodoxies. And that so that jumped out to me in this poll that you have these questions where you would assume huge numbers of Republicans would say, no, 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 I oppose that policy. Um, keep things less strict. And instead, that's not really what you see. Now, that could just be a temporary, you know, factor of this poll. That's the reason why I brought up, you know, when exactly was this poll taken? You know, is this just something that's very temporary in the immediate aftermath of Orlando? Or is this something that sort of characterizes Republican attitudes on gun control that's just often not really covered or discussed?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at I mean a Yuga poll from done before Orlando, so earlier in June, showed, I mean just under half of Republicans say there should be no change in gun laws. I mean that's not overwhelming, right? A third say less strict again, that's not overwhelming, even though a lot of folks would argue that's in fact what we're getting. We are getting less less strict laws in a lot of states that since Newtown there have been more movement to to make gun laws a little bit looser um, it, it, so I think it's a myth that there's this overwhelming support for, you know, or opposition to some of these things that have been, you know, part of the debate now for a long time. It's a real sense, you know, folks on the left lament this, and you you can certainly see it, even though there's been movement on things like assault weapon bans, still the mismatch between support for some of these issues and where the law and the political dialogue is, is, is really, in my view, pretty dramatic. Um, one of the other Things that that came up in the in the poll uh, or in the polling uh, recently is, and this is from December, um, and this just makes me sad. Like, do you think that mass shootings are just are something that can be stopped, or just a fact of life in America today? I just find that question just horrific. Um, and in October of 2015, I've asked it a few times now, so in October of um, 2015, about half said it can be stopped and 35% say fact of life. In December, the numbers were a little bit wider. There was a gap a little bit wider. So 58% say it can be stopped. Just over a quarter say it's a fact of life. Um And I just find, I find those numbers really tragic. Like this, you know, we're, this is something that is uniquely American. We're number one in the world in some of these things. Um, and will stricter or looser gun laws prevent mass shootings? And overall people are divided on whether it's stricter gun control or allowing more people to carry guns. What's the best way to prevent mass shootings? Overall, there's some division, but even here, you know, you have Republicans, a quarter of Republicans say stricter gun control. I mean, it's not o- as overwhelming on Republicans as it is the other, the reverses for Democrats. Um, and also y- it uses the phrase gun control, which a lot of outlets, and I've written a report on this, Quinnipiac did something recently, I think, showing that just the phrase gun control changes the response if you, in a question that's otherwise the same, having that word control in there changes the outcome. So even with that, um, Republicans are, you know, a quarter of Republicans say stricter gun Gun control would help uh, prevent mass shootings.
0: So there's uh, some other polling that uh, has come out uh, that touches a little bit now on the 2016 race. And uh, so Bloomberg was, I believe, in the field uh, during, uh, they, they, they were in the field while this was all occurring. And so I believe they, in the middle of the survey, um, added some new questions uh, pertaining to what had happened. Um, and. One of the questions they asked was they said, look, a year from now, if a situation similar to the Orlando shootings were to happen, there will be a different president. Would you have more confidence in Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump to deal uh, with this as president? And Hillary Clinton had 41 percent. Donald Trump had 45 percent and 15 percent said sure. And this goes to that question of, you know, I, I remember in the Republican primary back when the attacks in Paris occurred, thinking that night people they're going to Donald Trump's numbers will fall because like stuff just got real and people will say they don't think Donald Trump is the guy you want running the show when stuff like this happens and of course the opposite happened and his numbers went up um, now we have a lot of, of data about Donald Trump that suggests he is having a really rough go of it right now and has not done himself any favors but the the sort of split sample you know the the 400 or so interviews that Bloomberg conducted um, in the immediate aftermath of Orlando found that slightly more thought Donald Trump than Hillary Clinton would be better to handle something like this. Now, then they also asked a couple of policy questions. Um, Do you uh, agree or disagree that law enforcement agencies should increase surveillance of all American Muslims, even if it conflicts with civil liberties? 69% disagree with that. Um, The U.S. should, uh, uh, President Obama has not taken forceful action to stop domestic terrorism because he sides with Muslims, a kind of ugly accusation that was like implied by Donald Trump at one point. 61% disagree, but 31% agree. And again, this is the, you know, Donald Trump right now in the polls is hovering around, you know, he's, he's hovering pretty low. And you you can assume that his core of supporters is these, you know, 27% of people who want greater surveillance of Muslims in the US, the 31% who thinks that Obama is actually not really fighting ISIS because he's kind of siding with them. Um, But then they also asked about uh, banning the sale of semi-automatic or automatic weapons to civilians. And there it was pretty split in this poll, 48% agree, 50% disagree. Uh, And then another piece of this has been the the role of of religion, Islam, radical Islam, and whether using the term radical Islam or not makes the U.S. look weak. Here you had 47% who said they agreed that avoiding using the term radical Islam makes the U.S. look weak with 44% saying they disagree. Uh, and then Margie I, I know in our show notes we've we there was a poll that was found that actually looked at acceptance of of LGBT folks based on Religious views of the response.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, well, there's a few. I mean, you know, the question that this was Ann Seltzer and Bloomberg, the one you were just talking about. And I think one thing that is worth remembering is that even though folks, some of the agree disagree on on these questions, may be shocking or interesting or worth noting, they are not about ways to prevent terrorism or to prevent more mass shootings or it doesn't they're not tied to an outcome it's like do you agree or disagree that law enforcement should do this or we should you know avoiding the term radical islam does that it doesn't it's not sort of as a measure you know or as an alternative to you know the no fly you know preventing people on the no fly list from um, getting guns. Um, you know w- in at the same time as the Bloomberg poll though before it's go to that Pew religion poll, CBS asked about the response to the candidates responses to Orlando and this one actually showed something quite a bit different from the Bloomberg yeah, ones. This one. Trump people did not like Trump's. No, a majority did not like Trump's response. Um, and Clinton is completely divided evenly between approve, disapprove, and don't know. Um, while Trump, you know, half said they disapprove and then the other half split between approve and don't know. I don't know if it's a difference between when the polls were taken or the end size or just the way the question is framed, because Bloomberg says if this happened a year ago, who would you trust as opposed to their immediate response? Um, that's all very interesting right it's still a little early to see how it all evolves but one last thing and we'll leave you with before we go to um 2016 and everything else we have today is you know this notion and part of the conversation is you know the the um anti-gay sentiment from from anybody really, whether it's from, you know, folks responding to the tragedy or leading up to the tragedy or causing the tragedy or, uh, the, the person who committed this, this, uh, this horrific massacre, um, but one thing I think worth noting, you know, there's been some talk on the left, like make sure this does not, we, you know, this is not a, uh, Muslim versus LGBT issue. This is, you know, this is, let's not create divisions here, um, unnecessarily. And Pew did a poll and this is 2014. So it's a while ago when it comes to things like views toward LGBT rights, which obviously have changed a lot very quickly. Um, but here you found a lot of movement among Muslims from from 2007 to 2014. Um, Movement overall, for sure, but movement among Muslims to, you know, from 38% feeling that homosexuality should be accepted to 45%. So that's movement. Um, It makes... You know, Muslims maybe toward the bottom of the list or lower end of the list, I should say, relative to the other religious groups in terms of acceptance, but not all the way with the small, lowest number. Um, And then in terms of support for gay marriage, and this again, this is 2014, overall at that time was 53 39. Among Muslims, it was 42 52 favor oppose, putting Muslims really at this like nearly uh, identical place as. uh, a variety of you know a little bit more supportive than evangelicals similar in support to um, to black Protestant groups um, more supportive than jehovah's witness and mormon groups um, so just a reminder that um, that uh, this isn't necessarily this isn't about a specific religion this is really about uh, the broader issue of or at least for me, um, stronger gun laws and, and what can you do to make it harder for people who are disturbed to get access to something really very dangerous. So moving on to 2016 and the latest news from the presidential race. So, you know, you had, um, it's, it hasn't been a very good week or so for Trump in terms of the numbers. I mean, we thought, that, you know, maybe after Clinton seemed to clinch the nominee, nomination that she would see a bounce in the polls, just like Trump saw bounce in the polls, and. That seems to be true. What do you think?
0: Uh, well, yeah, right now, if you take a look at the Real Clear Politics averages of the polls, uh, the, the line showing Trump's level of support, you know, it, it, it dipped around the time that, you know, he was kind of struggling in the primaries. And then once he became kind of the presumptive nominee, his, his number goes up. And there was that brief time a couple of weeks ago, when on this show, Margie, you had said, you know, you, you were telling people, look, there's going to be a moment when Clinton and Trump are neck and neck in the polls. And then all of a sudden that moment happened.
1: It <laughs> was like the next there day. <laughs>
0: um, and if you look at the trend lines, though, the lines have diverged to where Trump's average is now significantly lower um, with Clinton, you know, I think in the most recent polls is now holding uh, significant, if not double digit leads over him. Um the, uh, some polling that was recently conducted NBC wall street journal, or uh, pardon me, this might not be wall street journal. This might've been their survey monkey poll. Yep. Their tracker. Um, if the 2016 presidential election were being held today, uh, showing Trump still slightly over 40%, but, but trailing Clinton and and his numbers have, have sagged a little bit since late May. Um, it, it shows that among, uh, among men, of course, he's still leading, but not by that much. And, uh, even among white respondents, he's leading, but again, not not by as much as he would need to to make up what we we know will likely be his deficits among African American or um, Latino voters. Uh, and then this other question, and I think th- I'm so glad that they're asking this one because I think this is one that is in some ways this one might wind up being more predictive than asking people um, who are you going to vote for is the who do you think will win? And on that metric, Trump has really fallen. Fallen off quite a bit in the last two weeks to where now only forty percent of people think that Trump will win. Um,
1: it's tough because you've had a lot of Republicans, you know, seemingly having a tough time of you know trying to say that they still support their nominee while criticizing, you know, the thing he said that morning or the thing he's going to say that afternoon, um, and. You know, you're going to have, you know, when does this end? Does this happen all the way to November? Do folks decide they can't support Trump? What's the what's the dividing line? What's the thing that happens that makes the you know, Republican establishment or Republican voters change their mind? Or is this simply the dance we're going to have from now until November? I know there have been folks like Hugh Hewitt and others who've said, like, let's try to find some way to kind of change everything at the convention. I think people are backing off of that. Um, there's also I've heard, and this was also in the wake of the uh comments that Trump made last week about uh the judge in his trump university uh case that caused a lot of Republicans to come out against him, but not really you know for that many folks really changing ultimately what they said they're going to do I don't know if that's what's behind what's going on in the polls, but it's certainly part of what's going on in the coverage um and then there's this sense that the, I guess I, I've been calling it magical thinking that Trump's going to, you know, change his mind. He's going to tone it down. This isn't really what he thinks. He's going to pivot. He's going to make a turn to something that sounds more moderate or reasonable, even though we've seen no evidence that that would happen. But I, it seems people just want, want to see it happen. I saw Bob Corker on Morning Joe said, well, you know, at some point, you know down the line he's gonna have to change his tone and, and someone asked, well when's your deadline? When does that need to happen by? And he didn't <laughs> he didn't have an answer. He couldn't answer that question like, well, that's a good question. At what point is it too late? And obviously if you spent a year talking this way, then why is that okay if you decide to change it tomorrow? And that's you know that's also a very reasonable conversation to happen anyway with the Bloomberg, again, this is the same Bloomberg seltzer poll we were talking about before, asked a question, as the campaign continues, do you expect Donald Trump to say more things that upset Republicans? Or do you expect him to tone down what he says to be less inflammatory? And two thirds say, he's going to say more things. And about a third say, he's going to tone it down. So again, this is one of those questions where is the 30% high or is it low? Um, you know, I haven't seen any evidence to suggest that he's going to tone it down. And even if he tones it down, as far as I'm concerned, as far as a lot of independents and moderates are probably concerned, it's too late, right? And, he, you know, he's at the 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 horses out of the barn. Um, But that is interesting. I haven't seen another question. I'm sure there is one, but I haven't seen it. Like, do you think he's going to tone it down kind of question quantified? So, um, we'll see if this changes. And if you've seen another outlet that asked this question, please flag it for us because I, I think it's an important thing to think about. I don't have subgroups here, but that would be interesting to see who thinks he's going to tone it down. Is it his supporters? So if his supporters like what he says, then what do they think? So, you know, it's not necessarily as clear as the 30% must be his hardcore supporters. Not necessarily. So, anyway, interesting. We'll see. All of that, I think, is behind the bad week that Trump's had.
0: Well, and let's also not forget there's, and this is a good segue into our next poll um, is the question of uh, the media. Um, so Donald Trump just this past week said that he is no longer going to allow Washington Post reporters to have access uh, to his campaign that they're removing their credentials. Um, this is a really sort of an uh, uh, this is a story that I don't think has gotten I think it gets significantly more attention inside the quote unquote bubble because, the bubble has reporters in it, reporters who are, they themselves are losing their credentials or their friends are losing their credentials. I don't know how much the story has has penetrated out there in the broader world, um, but Donald Trump has always made sort of the press is going to be his, he, he tries to use the press as his ally to get attention uh, and to boost him, and then the press is his enemy when it's convenient because he knows that the, the, the press is a good sort of punching bag. Um, and sure enough, uh, there's uh, Gallup has been tracking to what extent people have uh, confidence in things like newspapers. Um, their most recent poll done in, the, in early June showed only 20 percent of Americans do have a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in newspapers. Thirty six percent have very little or no confidence. And that's a big shift from where things were back in, say, 1973. There's actually if you look, I, I, I'm assuming this is after Watergate. Um, and it, I, I don't know if it's after Watergate and after the Pentagon papers. I'm trying to like figure out the timeline in my head. Um, but here in in sort of the late seventies, you get fifty one percent of people saying they have a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in newspapers. Um, my grandfather worked for the Washington Post as a as a a, a data guy. He wasn't like a journalist. Um, but back around that time, the late seventies, early eighties, um, and and I mean now, like it's it's the the polling on this question is just so incredibly incredibly different. Um,
1: but millennials are, are have more confidence than some other age groups, which is interesting.
0: That it, I do think that's interesting because a big piece of what I've always seen is well, millennials really don't trust the media. But it turns out nobody really trusts the media. That doesn't make millennials very special. Um, I mean, in that. Uh, and and I wonder if part of it is because Gallup frames this as confidence in newspapers. If for millennials, the word newspaper has this connotation of like credible old school, not, you know, some random blog post.
1: Those things in my parents' attic, whatever that stuff is.
0: Yeah, I've had things that's like a doorstop outside my door when I go to get lunch on Sunday. No, I'm kidding. Um, But the... uh, because in the in the Harvard Institute of Politics poll, the media was trusted less than Wall Street among millennials. Only nine percent said they thought the media tended to do the right thing. So I wonder if like separating out newspapers somehow, uh, separating this out and just talking about newspapers makes this different.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's pretty. I mean, it's interesting. I guess it's not a terrible surprise that the media is slipping in confidence, but it, it's it's not. Um, it's not a surprise either that overall confidence in all institutions and Gallup asked a lot of different institutions are, overall is dropping. I mean, the other thing I'll add too about this Harvard study about media coverage so they say, you know, Trump received the ad equivalent of $55 million in, uh, uh, in advertising, but because of the enormous amount of coverage he received and that most of it was positive or neutral in tone. This got a lot of press this week. Um, other folks pushed back on that and said that most of that press, even though they break it out, but that a lot of that press is about his polling and how he was doing well in the polls, or here's what he was doing, here's what's going on in his events, rather than about his policies. Um, I don't – you know, this is something that folks have been writing about quite a bit, that he's benefited from the press attention in a way that um, that he's been created by the press. That if the press hadn't been giving him all this attention, if he hasn't – there hasn't been this symbiotic relationship between the press wanting to cover Trump because Trump uh, attracted eyeballs and – Therefore, created Trump and, you know, fueled his rise. I I don't, you know, this, this report from Harvard seems to suggest, yes, this is what happens. But, you know, other folks have been saying that's not the case. I mean, if folks are interested in he's the front runner, then he's the front runner and the press should be covering him. So I don't know if we can necessarily come to an answer on this. I do think it's interesting to look at, if you look at the Clinton coverage versus the Trump coverage, Versus Cruz and Sanders, the percentage of Clinton, of Clinton's coverage that was focused on, on the issues as opposed to something else um, actually was much higher. 28% of the coverage about Clinton was focused on issues, and that's more than twice anybody else in terms of what, what percentage of everybody else's coverage was focused on their issue possessions, which I suppose is a victory for the Clinton team um, that they were getting their issues out there. But still... Overall, I think, you know, this still leaves, I don't know, maybe more questions than answers. I mean, what do you think? Do folks on the right, Kristen, feel that the media has fueled Trump's rise, that they're the reason, the media is the reason that Trump is where he is?
0: Uh, I I think that's a big piece of it for a lot of people. I remember early on, I think it was Nate Silver did a write-up where they did a, a, like a, they just did a, a correlation of here's how much time Trump or coverage Trump's gotten. Here's what his standing in the polls is. And there's a correlation there that was somewhat strong, but then it's, it's, well, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Is it that, I mean, cause a lot of reporters back when I was all frustrated about this last summer, when Trump was at like 11 or 12%, the second place person was at 9%, but they're like, Oh, well Trump's the front runner. And I'm like, no, he's two and a half points ahead of the other person, the second place person. Like everybody needs to just calm down. So, back then at the beginning, I kind of do blame the media for jumping on this whole Trump's a front runner, Trump's a front runner, and like blowing up this bubble. But then, of course, you got to the fall, and at that point, Trump was genuinely the front runner. He was at that point, you know, a significant ways away from the second place person and held that lead consistently. In which case, of course, the media is going to cover him primarily or exclusively, because at that point, he really is the front runner. So, I still hold on to a little bit of this the media played a huge part in fueling Trump's rise. If he was a, just a crank with a bunch of positions like he has, but that, you know, didn't get all of this coverage, would he have ever gotten beyond his initial eight, nine, 10%? I I don't know. I, I still think it's an open question.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, right. I, I, I don't know if we can really quite put our finger on it, although the Harvard report does seem to have some quite strong evidence. But Here's a, a tweet, though, that is not based on any evidence, or at least a comment based on no evidence whatsoever. So Trump, as has been quoted by Maggie Haberman and others, has said, I've made polling a very important thing because I never used to hear about the polls. So may, we're uh, we're not sure if the media has created Trump, but Trump thinks he's created the interest in polling. It's just another casualty of when folks don't... Um, Stay up to date on the pollsters. (laughs) But but I thought that was pretty funny. A lot of people flagged it for us. Thank you for flagging it for us, folks. Um, Meanwhile, here's an an interesting open end. We've talked about open-ended questions before and how they could be quite interesting or illustrative. And there was um, uh, something. Who did this? This was YouGov. Huffington Post, YouGov. How would you describe the different candidates? How would you describe the election? And the words that come out are incredible like they they would then jeopardize our clean rating and the things that people say about Trump I mean I guess you could say as my daughter would put it like a, he's a tush he's a bit he's a bit of a tushy right so he's like like the words that they used about him are just terrible um stupid crazy racist arrogant, idiotic loud these are the this is these are the top words for Clinton they're not really so great either liar dishonest crook crooked untrustworthy criminal those are the top. For each Clinton and Trump, they're all negative, and for you
0: do see some that are pretty gendered. For for Hillary Clinton, you have the B word yeah. up in there with uh, a, a number of respondents using that word for her, which is not okay,
1: right? Um, and nice, you don't see any nice in the top list for Trump, but <laughs> you just well, see That the, might not be gendered. No, it's just because he's not nice. <laughs> and then people say this election is crazy. That's the number one word that people use in the open end joke, uh, scary circus, mess. The only positive one, or I guess not negative one, I suppose is interesting. That's the, the top that's not like a terrible word. but also in this list, I mean it's not at the top, it's the bottom of the top, but still comes up as disgusting and disaster, bad, insane. These number I and mean, these are terrible. I mean it's just these are depressing. I feel all of these things are depressing.
0: Well, I, I am with you, America. I I don't feel so different from how you feel about this election.
1: So. <sighs> yeah, no, agreed. Uh. Okay, so Kristen, there's some funny stuff in the world of polling on sports, but you're probably better equipped to talk about it than, than, than I am.
0: Yes, I am. I am the official, the pollster's sports correspondent. That's right. Um, so <laughs>
1: That's your beat.
0: Uh, one of the things that I always think is cool is looking at poll questions and breaking them down not just by demographics but by other uh, other characteristics, um, consumer behaviors, or like psychographics, personality types, stuff like that. And so this poll sort of matches up what type of sports you like to follow with certain characteristics. Um, so you know if you've ever taken one of those Myers Briggs tests, um, you know extroverts versus introverts and how. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean are you shy or not, but, like, it it means do you get energy from being out in a crowd with other people or do you need to, like, be alone to recharge? Um, And it turns out that NBA fans are more likely to say that they are extroverts, that they get energy by being in a group. people while nhl fans are more likely to say that they are introverts that they need to that they need alone time to recharge after being in a group of people um nba fans a little more likely to say they like working as part of a team 48 percent while for nhl fans uh it's uh, by a two-to-one margin they prefer to work alone
1: and finally And I mean, is that that like what you would have expected? Is that what you have predicted? I mean, I guess, you know, because people think of like hockey fans as all like fighting and that's sort of the stereotype of like the, you know, raucous hockey matches or are these numbers what you'd expect or not?
0: Well, I see, I don't know that I have strong feelings about the NBA versus NHL fan base on like a personality type. I mean, I think there are, big demographic differences in NBA versus NHL. Uh, I mean, not big. I'm like overstating that, but like when I first think of NBA versus NHL, I don't think extrovert versus introvert as like a dividing line between the two. Mm. And Frankly, on something like I prefer to work as part of a team versus I prefer to work alone, just a f- fair free tip for you, gov. If you ever want to do this again, I'd love to see that broken down by like people who like individual sports, right? Auto racing, golf, tennis, like sports where it's like one person versus NBA, NHL, football. I mean, and granted, you know, these team sports are probably going to have bigger, maybe have bigger fan bases or more people that say, oh, that's my favorite sport. But I would wonder if it would correlate that way. Like, oh, I love watching team sports, but individual sports less so, and that that matches up with some personality characteristic. Yeah. Um, And then last but not least, uh, (laughs) there's a PPP poll. Thanks, PPP. Love the troll <laughs> ball. Love the troll
1: ball. <laughs> this and is a good one.
0: Uh so I, I preface this by saying my parents are from the Philadelphia area. When I was little, I had like a stuffed Philly fanatic in my room as a child, which now in hindsight I'm like, that thing is terrifying looking. Why did I ever, why was I ever given one of those as a kid? Um, but the Philly fanatic, uh, the big green monster with a snout. Fat and lovable, I guess. But I can also see being terrifying to a child. Uh, They were asked, who do you think is more qualified to be president, Philly Fanatic or Donald Trump? Philly Fanatic wins 46 to 40 with 14 percent saying they are
1: not sure. That's tough. Pennsylvania is a swing state. People say, you know, Trump needs to win it in order to, you know, since he's going to lose a lot of other states. So if. uh... Now, did they
0: ask Philly Fanatic versus Hillary Clinton?
1: Hmm. Good point. Philly Fanatic would probably be a spoiler. I don't know, but, I mean, it just really, (laughs) (laughs) I I wonder if the Philly Fanatic, like, did anything particular about, you know, to respond to this poll, like, is there, like, David did something crazy, or is there something planned for him to do something crazy, or she. Um, There's a, for folks who listen to 99% Invisible, which is a great top podcast, they did a whole episode on the Philly Fanatic and the design behind the costume, and it's done by it was done by a company that had ties to H- Jim Henson, you know, of the Muppets and Sesame Street. So there was a whole—I mean, it was really quite a story. It made you realize that it was a very, it is a very lovable, lovable little fanatic with a ph. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so some key findings. Take some time this week to not only think about the tragedy in Orlando, but about gun violence prevention. Um, What are you doing this week to reduce gun deaths? We're going to link in uh, the show notes some places where you can go to donate or take other action. And at the pollsters, we've always known that the polls were a big deal, uh, and we value the press, but maybe we're alone. And whether you're a Philly fanatic, fanatic or an extroverted or introverted hockey fan, you probably think this election is crazy, and that's putting it nicely.
0: You can find us on Twitter at @thepolsters the individually at at Margie Omero and at Casel to Sanderson or at www.thepolsters.com where you can find our show notes. Find us on Facebook where we post links to the stories we might want to be covering uh, in the upcoming week. Uh, and don't forget, you can always send us feedback, send us the stuff that you want to hear us talk about. Uh, and we always love to hear from you on Twitter or in reviews on iTunes, Stitcher or whatever your favorite podcaster might be. Great. Thank you.